This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight's star was an American actress, comedian, model, film studio executive, producer, and star of the self-produced sitcoms I Love Lucy and Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, The Lucy Show, Here's Lucy, and Life with Lucy. Well, I'm just about Lucy out there. Ball's career began in 1929 when she landed work as a model. Shortly thereafter, she began her performing career on Broadway using the stage name Diane Belmont. She later appeared in several minor film roles in the 30s and 40s as a contract player for RKO Radio Pictures, being cast as a chorus girl or in similar roles. Now, during this time, she met Cuban bandleader Desi Arnaz, and the two eloped in November of 1940. She ventured into television in the 1950s, and in 1951, she and Arnaz created the sitcom I Love Lucy, a series that became one of the most beloved programs in television history. Here she is in My Favorite Husband, playing opposite Richard Denning in the role of George. We present Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, based on the delightful stories of Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougar, starring Miss Ball with Richard Denning. Let's look in on the Cougats and see what they're doing. It's morning, and George Cougat is seated alone at the breakfast table. Liz is helping Katie, the maid, in the kitchen by fixing the toast. Liz, is the toast ready yet? Oh, just a minute, dear. Now it's ready. <laughs> Liz, what was that noise I heard? Nothing. Oh, how do you want it scraped, dear? Light, medium, or charcoal broiled? Oh, it doesn't matter. Well, if you hadn't heard me, you'd never know the difference. Here you are. Liz, you scraped it too hard. It's back to bread again. Well, I can't help it. It's the toaster's fault. If you'd fix half the things around here... Now, wait a minute. I did fix the toaster. I tightened the spring yesterday so the toast would pop up better. Oh, you did that. Well, you made the spring too tight. You better apologize to Katie. What for? She fell into the sink running back to catch a high fly. <laughs> yes. And if it ever learns to throw a curve, we're really in trouble. Well, it's a perfectly good toaster. I'll, I'll try to fix it. You'll try to fix it, yeah. Well, what do you do, buy a new one? Either that or get Katie a fielder's mitt. <laughs> oh, George, let's not fight so early in the morning. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll wait a while. 
<laughs> You're so cute. Give me a kiss. Mm, somehow I feel this is going to end up in a new toaster. Don't be silly. Your morning kisses are like coffee to me. That's how I wake up. Liz, I have a confession to make. What? My caffeine's been removed. <laughs> oh, silly. Come here. Sanka. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, George, the way we kiss, I don't need a new toaster. You don't? No, just put a piece of bread in my hand and kiss me again. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful, George? No matter what we argue about, a kiss from you fixes everything. You know, you could get around anybody with a kiss. Really? Well, when I get to work, I'll try it on Mr. Atterbury. Hey, what's that? It's in the kitchen. Katie! Katie, what's going on out there? Mrs. Cougat, Mr. Cougat, run for your life. What's the matter? What's happened? The automatic dishwasher has gone crazy. broken again. Oh, it threw every dish in the kitchen at me, and it's trying to climb into the cupboard to get some more. <laughs> oh, now, Katie, you mustn't be upset. It's not that tragic. Oh, I can't help it, Mrs. Cougat. That thing hates me. <laughs> well, you go back to the kitchen and get even with it. Pull its plug out. Yes, ma'am. George, I'd like to talk to you about a new dishwasher. Kiss me, Liz. Oh, no. No, with the toaster, it just meant burnt toast. This time, we may lose Katie. Why, that's ridiculous. What's the matter? Can't she wash dishes in a pan like everybody else? Well, but she's had the dishwasher so long, she might resent it and quit. You know we can't find anyone nearly as wonderful as she is. Well, what are women coming to that, that they have to be pampered with electrical gadgets? Oh, we're not pampered. Well, the wives of our ancestors didn't have dishwashers. Pioneer women didn't have a lot of electrical appliances to do their housework. Of course they didn't. And where are those women today? Dead. <laughs> well, I'm not buying Katie a new dishwasher. And you can tell her so. She'll get rough red hands. Well, what of it? She's got rough red everything else. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the truth, George. I wasn't thinking Katie. I, I was thinking of someone else. Uh-huh. Well, come clean. Whom were you thinking of? Oh, you're so grammatical. Well, I can't help it. That's correct. Whom were you thinking of? Hume. <laughs> me? I mean me? What are you talking about? Well, if we don't have a dishwasher and it's Katie's night off, I'll be washing the dishes. I thought so. Oh, I don't care for myself. But when you come home and you greet me and you kiss my hand... Yeah. You'll get dishpan lips. <laughs> Liz, you're, you're breaking my little heart. But I'm not buying Katie a new dishwasher, and you can tell her so. She's liable to get mad. So? You tell her, George. Uh, no, Liz, uh, you tell her. What's the matter? Are you afraid? Me? Afraid? <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. Well, when you stop laughing, you tell her. <laughs> Well, Liz, it, it's just that I don't want you to be a slave in your own house. You, oh. you have to be the boss around here. Let her know who gives the orders. Do you understand? Yes, you're afraid of her. No, she means nothing to me. I, I just want you to learn a lesson. All right, I'll tell her. I'm not afraid. I'll get her in here and I'll say to her, Katie? Did someone call me? 
Mrs. Cougat has uh, something to tell you, Katie. No. Uh, yes. Uh, Katie, there's something you might as well know right now. What is it? I want some more coffee. <laughs> That's telling her, Liz. Oh, why don't you go to work? Katie, could I talk to you a minute, please? Just a second, Mrs. Cougar, till I get through washing these dishes by hand. Oh, don't worry, Katie. I'll get a dishwasher somehow. I asked Corey Cartwright to come over. Well, what for? I didn't think he knew about anything except women. <laughs> he doesn't, but he has a lot of friends in radio, and I thought maybe if he could get me on a giveaway program, I might win a dishwasher. Do you, do you think you could win? Oh, listen, I've heard some of those shows won by morons, and I'm as smart as they are any day. <laughs> Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. That must be Corey, I'll get it. Oh, he's in a hurry. Quick, close the door. What's the matter? Women, I can't get rid of them. Crowds of them chase me down the street. Well, it must be tough to be so irresistible. Hey, what's this dragging along in back of you? Oh, that, well, that's nothing. Let me see. Why, Corey Cartwright, a bottle of taboo on a string. <laughs> well, it's a game I play. It's like fishing, only for women. Oh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Say, uh, what was on your pretty mind when you asked me to drop by, dear? Corey, are you still friends with that fellow who puts on radio shows? Sure. I've been on a lot of them lately. Two more programs and I'll have all my Christmas shopping done. <laughs> well, could you get me on one? Absolutely. What do you want to win? I've got a list of what they're giving away. Mm -hmm. Refrigerators, stoves, automobiles, diamond rings, wristwatches, and kitchen utensils. Yes, but I want... Garbage disposal units, Hoover vacuum cleaners, fur coats, house paint, pianos, radio phonographs, record albums. But you see, I'd like Typewriters, to six office buildings, a parking lot in downtown Los Angeles, and Arrowhead Springs. Let me off at electric dishwashers, please. Oh, it's a cinch. There's a program that gives away a dishwasher each week. It's called His and Hers. Corey, you've got to get me on it. Oh, there's nothing to it. Give me the phone. Phone there. Hello? That you, Smiley? This is Corey Cartwright. How are you, you old son of a gun? Yeah. See, a couple of friends of mine would like to get on his and hers. Couple? Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's a banker. Oh, good. Uh, the name is George Cougar. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, swell. Goodbye, Smiley. Oh, Corey, wait. Well, Liz, you're all set. Corey, does George have to go on the show, too? Sure. Husband and wife teams compete together. That's what makes it fun. Oh, I don't know how George is going to take this. <laughs> he doesn't know about it? No. Oh, you'll die. That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> well, listen, Liz, you're not on till next week. Now, have George listen to the show. It's on tonight. And see if you can talk him into it. Remember the name, his and hers. All right, I'll keep his ears glued to the radio if I have to use scotch tape. Well, George, we have a whole evening to ourselves. What would you like to do, honey? Oh, I don't know. I can't make up my mind between going to a movie or visiting the Stern. You decide. All right, I decided. Which is it going to be? We'll stay home and listen to the radio. But, Liz... I want to be alone with you, George. We can smooch. We can? <laughs> I can smooch with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, with time and a half for over smooch. <laughs> 
Uh, say, what's, what's this radio business? I thought you didn't like radio shows. Me? Oh, no. I love radio. I listen to it all day long. Oh, yeah? What programs? Uh, uh, Portia Faces John's Other Wife. What? Uh, Ma Perkins Can Be Beautiful. No, Liz. When a girl marries, it pays to be ignorant. No. Libby Owens, glass girl, glass blower. Oh, stop it. What scheme is brewing in that pretty little skull? Nothing. I just want to listen to the radio. I'll turn it on. Yeah, all right. As long as it isn't one of those horrible quiz shows. Quiz shows? Oh, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a lot of silly characters making fools of themselves in front of a microphone. Oh, I, I think they're a lot of fun. How, how can a person with any self-respect appear on one of those things? And now, ladies and gentlemen, our last contestants will come up to the microphone to compete for our big jackpot prize on his and hers. Mr. and Mrs. Paul Roney. Liz, that's a quiz show. Now, can either of you tell me the answer to this question? What is stored at Fort Knox? Oh, now, that, now, that's an insult to his intelligence, and any fool knows what's stored at Fort Knox. Sure, gelatin. <laughs> Here, turn that thing off. No, I want to listen. Gold is right, and Mr. and Mrs. Roney win the jackpot for tonight's his and hers. Good night. You, you mean both a man and his wife go through that? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like fun? <laughs> is there no bottom to, to a human being's dignity? And now we'll announce the names of next week's contestants. Oh, no. What's the matter, Liz? Uh, you're right, it's silly. Turn it off. Mr. and Mrs. Tom Lefebvre. No, I want to see who the suckers will be next week. <laughs> Dr. and Mrs. Charles Van Tassel. And what other half-wits? Mr. and Mrs. George Cougar. <laughs> Liz. Well, let's go to a movie. <laughs> Liz, sit down. I don't like the look in your eye, George. I can explain everything honestly. Go ahead. Put the lamp down and I will. <laughs> I'm just holding it so you won't knock it down. Now, stop shaking. All right, all right. I wanted a dishwasher, and Corey knew the master of ceremonies, and he fixed it up for us, that's all. My pal. Well, maybe he can find a job for me when Mr. Atterbury at the bank hears about this. Oh, he'll love having his vice president on a quiz show. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Hello, George. How's the quiz kid? Oh, Hello, Harry. Just heard him say your name on the radio, George. Congratulations! Look, Harry. We're not this going... This is only the beginning, George. Maybe if you give yourself a home permanent, you'll be chosen queen for a day. Now, wait a minute. Well, goodbye, Queenie. Liz? Yes, Your Majesty? That's not funny. In half an hour, everyone in town will know about this. Oh, another wise guy. Well, I'll tell him a thing or two. Yes, I know. Quiz kid. Queen for a day. <laughs> and keep your smart answers to yourself. George, this is Mr. Atterbury. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's Mr. Atterbury. Well, goodbye, George. You stay here, you blundering idiot. What? Oh, no. Not you, Mr. Atterbury. George, I just heard your name on the radio. Oh, well, I can explain everything, Mr. Atterbury. You see... I'm for you, boy. <laughs> uh, yes, but my wife... 
Uh, what did you say? It's a stroke of genius. Excellent publicity for the bank. Well, you, you, you like the idea? Why, it's sensational, boy. <laughs> the kind of forward thinking we need. Show the public how intelligent bankers are. How'd you ever think of the idea, boy? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. It, it came to me right out of the air. Well, it was a great idea, and I'm proud of you, boy. Thanks. Talk to you at the bank tomorrow, boy. Yeah, well, well goodbye, Mr. Atterbury. What'd he say, boy? <laughs> boy? Liz, he, he wants me to go on the show and prove how smart bankers are. I'm worried. Oh, don't worry, dear. I'll be right there with you. That's what I'm worried about. Oh. Now, Liz, hmm? I brought all these books home from the library. Uh -huh. And you know what we're going to do with them tonight? Press flowers? <laughs> no. No, we're going to study for that quiz show. Mr. Atterbury got a block of seats, and everybody in the bank will be there. Oh, I've got a good idea, George. What? You answer all the questions. I'll just stand there. Yeah, don't be silly. If you don't open your mouth, what'll I tell them? That, that you're dumb? And if I do? <laughs> well, I see what you mean, but... <laughs> but let, let's give it a try. Now, now here's some history questions. Uh, 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 what is the Monroe Doctrine? Monroe Doctrine? Yes, you, you you know which Monroe it refers to, don't you? Oh, sure. Racing with the moon <laughs> <the> midnight blue. <laughs> Well, never mind. I'll answer the history questions. Now, now let's try some natural history. Yeah, here. What is the name of an animal with long, sharp fangs and a shaggy head who stalks his prey at night? Oh, that reminds me, Corey was here today. <laughs> Never mind. I'll answer the nature questions. Now, that, that brings us to arithmetic. Oh, you answer the arithmetic questions, George. Uh, Liz, I've got a great idea. What? I'll answer the questions. You just stand there. Oh, good. I'm glad you thought of it. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Liz, dear. Hello, Corey. Well, tonight's the big night, hmm? Yes, and Corey, I'm just frantic. I don't know why I ever got into this. I'll disgrace George for life. Oh. He could even lose his job at the bank over some stupid answer of mine. Oh, Liz, don't be ridiculous. He'll have to give up his lovely office at the bank. He'll lose his swivel chair. Just think, all the rest of his life, he'll never swivel again. <laughs> I thought you might be upset, Liz. <laughs> What would you say if I told you I had the list of answers to tonight's question? Where are they? Here. I got them from Adele, the producer's secretary. I uh, had a date with her last night. Oh, Corey, I couldn't look at them. That's dishonest. Wouldn't be fair. Well, that's the way you feel about it? Maybe one little peek. Just one. I'll just peek at the first question, that's all. All right. Oh, what do you know? I had the list upside down. I peeked at the last one by mistake. Now I guess I'll have to peek my way back up to the first one. <laughs> there. Mm -hmm. Now, can you remember them? Sure. 
Al Jolson, the sap runs every two years, mm-hmm. life with father, mm-hmm. and to scrape the barnacles off her hull. That's right. I wonder what the questions are. That one about the sap running, that must be about trees, huh? What do you care as long as you have the answers? You're a cinch, Liz. Oh, this is just wonderful, Corey. George is going to be so proud of me. <laughs> Katie, I'm so excited about the show. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, take one look at me before I go. Is my slip showing? Yes. How much? All of it. Uh, you forgot to put your dress on. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Here, help me with it, Katie. All right. All ready, honey? In just a minute. Al Jolson, the sap runs every two years, like with father, to scrape the barnacles off her hull. What? Oh, nothing, nothing. Huh. Well, how do you feel, Liz? Uh, get some facts into your little head? You know, George, you're going to be very surprised. I have a feeling I'm going to know all the answers. Well, now, now, don't do anything silly. I won't. Uh, Let me take the first crack at the answers. Oh, don't worry, George. I won't do anything except make you very proud of me. Well, goodbye, Katie. Goodbye. Uh, Goodbye, Katie. Kiss me for good luck, George. All right. Well, I don't know about that show, His and Hers, but there's nothing wrong with yours and mine. (laughs) Come on, crazy. Let's get this over with. All right, everybody, we're going on the air in just two seconds. Now, now, quiet, quiet. Presenting that sensational new quiz show, His and Hers! Yes, it's time once again to play that lovable, laughable radio game, His and Hers. And here's your master of ceremonies, Smiley Stembottom. (laughs) Good evening, everybody. This is old Smiley Stembottom. Here we go with another session of His and Hers. We have with us tonight uh, three man and wife teams. Uh, Dr. and Mrs. Charles Van Tassel, uh, Mr. Tom LaFever, attorney, and Mrs. LaFever, and Mr. and Mrs. George Cougar. Yay, George! Go get them, boys! <laughs> uh, apparently, Mr. Cougar has some friends in the audience. Now, uh, while our contestants are waiting in a room off stage, I'd like to announce that because we have such an intelligent group, a doctor, a lawyer, and a banker, we have thrown out the easy questions we were going to use and have substituted harder ones. Now coming onto the stage are our first contestants. Uh, you must be Dr. Van Tassel. That's right, and this is my wife. <laughs> Apparently, Mrs. Van is tickled by her own tassel. Is she a little nervous? No, she always sounds like that. (laughs) Yes. All right, here we go for our first question. Now, you only have one answer between you, so think carefully. Who discovered the fountain of youth and claimed he could live forever? Uh, Hansa de Leon. Absolutely right! Uh, what do you say to that, Mrs. Van Tassel? (laughs) I knew you would. Now you have 25 points, and we'll go to the next question. What is your congressman's... I guess they'll call us pretty soon, won't they, George? Yes. Now, now don't be nervous, Liz. Oh, I'm not nervous. 
Well, let's go. Isn't someone knocking at the door? No, that's your knees. All right, so I'm nervous. I should think you'd be, too, that, that those questions are liable to be tough. Oh, don't worry, George. I have a feeling I'm going to know every answer. Oh, look who has that feeling. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, we're ready for you. Oh, here we go. Come on, George. And here they come, our third contestants, Mr. and Mrs. Cougat. You tell them, George! <laughs> Hello, Mr. Atterbury. Hi, Corey. Liz, please. And now, uh, right up here to the microphone. Are you all ready for these questions? They're pretty hard. Oh, I'll bet they're not so hard. Well, we'll see. Now, uh, one answer for the two of you, remember. First question. Who discovered the fountain of youth and claimed he could live forever? Al Jolson. <laughs> oh, Liz. I'm so sorry. That's wrong, Mrs. Cougar. It is? Yes, but let's go on to question number two. Okay. Question number two. This is political. What is your congressman's term of office? The sap runs every two years. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Liz, have you gone crazy? Something's wrong, George, but I'll get the rest of them. Well, let me answer this one. All right, George. Uh, question number three. What has caused America to have such a great increase in population? <laughs> well, George? I don't know. Uh, would you repeat the question, please? Uh, what has caused America to have such a great increase in population? Is it life with father? <laughs> Wrong again. You uh, now have a total score of nothing. Who oh, got your stupid number score? No coaching from the audience, please. And now for your last question. Well, I'm sure to get one of these right. Why did the French people put Marie Antoinette under the sharp blade of the guillotine? To scrape the barnacles off her hull. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, you are the first husband and wife team ever to miss all four questions. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Oh, Liz. And now all the contestants will stand by for our jackpot question. Liz, what's the matter with you? George, I had all the answers memorized, but they must have switched the questions on me. Oh, fine. Attention! Before the jackpot question, here are the standings of our contestants. The Van Tassels have 75 points. The Lefevers have 50 points. And the Cougats have... <clears throat> now, uh, since our jackpot question counts 100, whoever gets it right will win our giant prize, an electric dishwasher. Oh, we still got a chance, George. Yeah. And tonight we're adding a special prize to go with the dishwasher. 300 dirty dishes. <laughs> now, here's the jackpot question. At the last session of the big four foreign ministers in Paris, when Russia and the United States were in disagreement, what did Andrei Vashinsky say to Secretary of State Marshall? Oh, come, someone must know it. What did Andrei Vashinsky say to Secretary of State Marshall? I give up, George. Let's go home. All right! <laughs> Electric dishwasher. <laughs>
about that? I didn't even know I could speak Russian. Vyshinsky, you're wonderful. Come on, everybody, the borscht is on me. Hey, George, are you asleep yet? No. When when you're trying to sleep, do you ever pretend things? Mm-hmm. What? I pretend that you've stopped talking. Oh. My favorite pretend is that I'm a I'm a beautiful princess who swallowed a, a magic potion and I sleep for twenty years. Hmm. What are you thinking? I'm wondering where I can get some of that potion. Oh, George, you aren't very romantic. Come on, pretend something. Okay. I pretend I'm all alone on a deserted island. Uh And I see coming toward me a girl with flowers in her hair. Oh. Now, what do you pretend? I pretend she's ugly. Good night, George. Stay tuned for The Whistler next on Theater of the Mind. Are you ready for a few chills? Next up on Theater of the Mind, The Whistler and the episode entitled Malice. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of The Whistler? I'm The Whistler. Nita, what is it? What's wrong with you? I don't know. All of a sudden, I, I got a terrible feeling. A horrible feeling of, of foreboding. I'm frightened, Tom. Another Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, The Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the unusual story of malice. Dr. Jacob Benton is the wealthiest citizen in a certain upstate county, as well as its most prominent physician and surgeon. Jacob Benton is a proud individual, proud of the fact that he comes from a long line of highly successful surgeons. And his greatest ambition is that his son, Tom, will follow in his footsteps and carry on the family tradition. Jacob has also a nephew, Harvey, son of Jacob's scapegoat brother who married a girl from the wrong side of the town and finally disappeared, leaving Jacob to take care of his young son. After finishing high school, Tom and Harvey entered medical school. Harvey followed through and is to graduate next week. But Jacob's son, Tom, at the end of his third year, wandered over to the East Bottoms at the lower end of town and uh, met a girl, lost interest in medicine, and refused to go back to school. Tom. Tom. Yes, Father? Come into the library. What do you want? Where have you been? It's two in the morning. Why, I've been to a party. Where? A house party. On the other side of town? Yes. In the East Bottoms. You've seen that girl, that Nita, again, haven't you? Yes. What of it? What of it? You're a disgrace to the name of Benton. 
I've told you time and again that you don't belong over there. I like Nita because she's honest and genuine. She's not filled with a lot of silly ideas like Eloise. Eloise is a fine girl. She belongs to an excellent family. Oh, bosh. Eloise is a phony. Nita's a real fellow. If you become serious about this girl, you'll be ostracized. I know. I know all about poor Uncle George. He went over to the East Bottoms and met a girl and went to the dogs. But it wasn't the girl. He was no good in the first place. He was a stubborn fool, just like you. I resent being told who and when and where. Are you in love with this girl? Yes. I'm terribly disappointed in you, Tom. I'd hoped, I'd prayed that you'd become a surgeon. I don't like medicine. You were wrapped up in your studies until you met this girl. That's what you think. I'm ashamed of you. Your cousin Harvey came from the lower end of town. I made him see the light. And then think of it. You about face and walk right into it. You quit school and he graduates next week. All right, his name's Benton, too. Let him carry on. He likes medicine. It bores me. This girl has made a fool of you. Oh, I could kill her. I think I'd better go to bed. Good night. Good night, young idiot. He's going to finish school if I have to... What's all the racket about down here? Oh, uh, come in, Harvey. I... I heard voices. Yes, it was Tom. Been to a party across town. Been out with that cheap girl again, that Nita. Are you sure? He admitted it. Says he's in love with her. Tossing his career to the winds over a woman like that. How long has he been seeing her? Several months, I suppose. That's why he wouldn't go back to school. All she's after is his money. How he ever met up with her, I'll never know. I'm afraid I'm the cause of that, Uncle Jacob. You? What do you mean? Well, when, when I was home last summer, I went over there one evening, several evenings, in fact. Tom insisted on going along. I wanted to see some of the kids. I went to school with Nita, and, well, I introduced them. Well, of all things, you were born over there, and if you insisted on going back, it was your own business. But Tom is my son. You knew how I felt about it. You had no right to take him over there. I realize that now. Well, something's got to be done about it at once. Yes, but what? I'll put an end to it. Believe me, I'll find a way and I'll stop at nothing. For the remainder of the night, Jacob sits in the library studying the problem of what to do about Tom. And upstairs, young Harvey paces to and fro, pondering over the same question. The next morning, Harvey goes to the lower end of town to visit Nita. Hello, Nita. Harvey. Why, I... I didn't know you were back in town. You didn't? I came home last night. I'm going back in a few days for graduation exercises. Have you missed me, Nita? Why? Why, yes. Why haven't you written me in the last month or so? Well, I... I've been busy... Been across town lately? No, why should I? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a strange thing about this section called the East Bottoms. It means more than just a, a place. It's a huge barrier. An insurmountable obstacle. I was born over here, same as you. But I got an idea that I could cross over. And in time, I'd be accepted as one of them. But I finally realized that I would never be accepted. I'd only be tolerated. I'd never be able to practice medicine over there. I think that's all imagination. I told you I had definitely decided to come back here and settle down. That's why I asked you to marry me. I'm not satisfied here. Since when? I've never been satisfied here. You belong here, Nita. You'll never be able to cross over. You'd be miserable. I know. Maybe. And Tom would never last over here. He'd wash up. 
just as my father did. What are you talking about? I know what's happened. You're throwing me over for Tom. What? You're after Tom because you think he'll take you out of this. Set you up on the other side. Well, he won't. You'll have to come over here, and he won't have a dime. You're not really in love with Tom. I am in love with him, and he loved me. Oh, last a month. I'll make it last. Oh, don't be a fool, Nita. Tom's father thinks you're a, a good for nothing, and he'll never change. I don't care. I love Tom. And when it came to a showdown, Tom would walk out on I'm you. going to marry him. I've made up my mind. Then there's nothing more I can say. Goodbye, Nita. Goodbye. <laughs> That evening, Dr. Jacob comes to a decision, and he too crosses town and makes his way to Nita's apartment. Well, what do you want to talk about, Dr. Benton? About my son, Tom. I see. How long have you known him? Oh, since last summer. Have you seen him often? Yes, several times a week for the last two months. You think you're in love with him? I don't think. I know I am. I don't think he's in love with you. He's merely infatuated. You're interested in his position, his money. You can think whatever you like. I'm familiar with your type. My... my type? What's the matter with me? Are you aware of what you're doing to my son? I've done nothing, nothing at all. You've caused him to drop his career. Tom has a tradition to fulfill. He comes from a fine family. And I won't have him throw it all to the wind because of a silly infatuation. It isn't an infatuation. He must marry someone in his own class. Someone who'll inspire him to carry on his career. I didn't talk him out of his career. He says he doesn't like medicine. The right girl wouldn't allow him to stray. She would encourage him to follow through. The right girl. Family. Tradition. It's all a lot of bosh. Everybody in this town has made up his mind that the East Bottoms mean the difference between somebody and nobody. Well, I haven't. I'm made of the same stuff as you or Tom or anybody else over there. I have a right to a decent existence. If it's money you want, I'll give you money to let him alone. I'll give you a lot more than you'll ever get from Tom if you marry him. Money? You, you'd pay me to give him up? Yes. Here. Here's a check for $5,000. $5,000? Is that all your son is worth to you? $5,000? If he were my son, and I thought I could buy his future, I'd give every cent I had. What? You mean you want more than that? Dr. Benton... You don't possess enough money to buy me off. I don't want money. Well, what goes on here? Hello, Tom. He came just in time. What are you doing here, Father? What do you suppose? What's he been saying, Nita? He just gave me this check for $5,000. For what? To let you alone, so you can continue your career. What? He thinks I'm wrecking your life. He is. That settles it. We'll get married tonight. You won't get married tonight. Not in this state. We'll fly over to the island. That's in another state. They don't have the three-day law. Get your things, Nita. If you marry this girl, I'll never give you another cent. I'll get along. Come on, Nita. Tom, I'll stop at nothing to break this up. I promise you'll regret this moment so long as you live. Let's go, Nita. So Tom and Nita rush out of the house and drive to the airport just outside of town. A storm has come up. The highway glistens in the beam of the headlights. This rain is certainly like a cloudburst. Maybe we shouldn't fly over tonight, Tom. Why not? I don't like to fly in a storm. How, how can you tell where to land? Uh, don't worry about that. I'm familiar with the field. 
Who's on the island at this time of year? Well, not many people. We've had this summer place there as long as I can remember. There's an old fellow and his wife who look after most of the places. He's also a justice of the peace. He can marry us, we'll spend the night at our place, and then we'll go someplace else tomorrow. Tom, are you sure you want to go through with this? Certainly. What do you ask? Your father meant what he said. Is it... is it worth it to give up everything? You're worth a dozen family fortunes. But, but now that I think about it, it... it... Well, he sort of frightened me. He didn't frighten me. Well, the way he said it made my children up my spine. Said what? You'll regret this moment so long as you live. Oh, he was just bluffing. Somehow, I, I don't think he was. He can cut me off, but we'll get along. Tom, why don't you finish your studies? I told you, darling. I don't like medicine, and I never will. Why should I do something I dislike just because my father and my great-great-grandfathers liked it? Well, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. But I'll find something. Tom? Yes? What is it? <laughs> Nita. What is it? What's wrong with you? Oh, I, I don't know. All of a sudden, I've got a terrible feeling. A feeling of... of foreboding. Snap out of it, Nita. This isn't like you. I know, but I can't help it. I... I'm frightened. Of what? I don't know, but I am. Oh, tell me, turn back. Let's wait, please. Oh, no, you can't back out now. We're going through with this. But he meant it. Your father meant what he said. I know he did. Please turn back. I wouldn't turn back for all the money in the world. Don't worry, I don't need lights to land. We should have come in a boat. No, it's too choppy for a boat. This is the only way in weather like this. Tom, there, I see a light. Just went on. Yeah? Old Jenkins probably heard it. The, the light is swinging. Yeah, that's it. That's the field. It's a tiny one, but I can make it. There's a light. Yeah. We're all right now. Hang on. I'm going to set her down. Fire. Oh, who are they? No, no. Hold the lantern down here. It's a woman. Uh, don't recognize her. Hey, hey, this is young Tom Benton. Oh, the girl is hurt bad. Look at her legs. They must be broken. Yeah. Come along. We can get him over to the house. Phone Doc Benton. Hello? Hello? This Dr. Benton's home? Uh, this is Jenkins over on the island. Is Dr. Benton there? Oh, is that you, Harvey? Well, you better find Doc and get him over here right away. It's young Tom. He tried to land his plane and hit some trees. Uh, I don't think Tom is hurt so bad, but the girl has smashed up something terrible. I don't know who she is. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs>
Well, it didn't take you long to get here, Harvey. We've got him over at our place. <laughs> How in the world did Tom hit those trees? I had no trouble seeing the field. The lights weren't on when Tom came in. Didn't even hear his motor until it was too late. He should have phoned me. He was coming. Hey, where's Doc Benton? He's out on the case. He left his patient's house, so I, I left a message telling him I was going ahead and to come as quickly as possible. I brought some medical supplies. Here we are. Tom's over there on the couch. They put the girl in the bedroom. Few mm-hmm. few cuts on him. Don't think he has any broken bones. Oh, nasty bump on the head. Maybe a slight concussion. Well, I better have a look at the girl. Looks to me like both her legs are broken. Nita. Poor kid. You know who she is? Yes. Yes, I know who she is. Uh, Was I right about her legs? Yes. Both rather badly smashed up. Where were they going on a night like this? I imagine they came over here to get you to marry them. Marry them? I'll be darned. Wonder why they didn't phone me first. They were in too much of a hurry, I suppose. Too bad. She's in a very critical condition. Extreme shock. Better get some hot water and plenty of blankets. Yeah, right away. Get the house warm as possible and put more blankets on Tom. I'll be right back. Martha? Uh, Yes? How is she? Harvey says she's in bad shape. Gather up all the bedclothes and coats you can. Got to cover them up good. Put on plenty of water to heat. I'll build up the fire. Outside, the storm rages on. Harvey sits quietly beside Nita's bed, staring at her in a daze. Her breathing becomes shallow, irregular. A quarter of an hour passes. Then a plane motor is heard overhead. The ship sets down, and Dr. Jacob hurries to the house. Tom's over there, Doc. Tom. Tom. He's been unconscious ever since we brought him in. Can't find any fractures. He's got an awful wallop on his head. Yes. I see. Hmm. No apparent concussion. He'll be all right in a short while. Um, get some pillows. Raise his feet. On his head, Laura. I'll get them. You certainly got it hot in here. Yeah. And Harvey had us do that because of the girl. She's pretty bad. Girl? Where is the girl? Oh, in the bedroom there. Harvey's in there. Uh, I'll have a look at her. Harvey. Harvey. Huh? Oh. Hello. What's the matter with you? I just... Are you crying? No, no, I... I'm just... It's a miserable mess. Fine example of a doctor you are. You have to learn to be completely impersonal about these things. Oh, I know. What do you say is wrong with her? Both legs are broken. She's suffering from extreme shock. Uh Uh-huh. Better take your bag. Go out there and give Tom a shot of adrenaline. I'll attend to the girl. Yes, sir. Harvey gives Tom the adrenaline 
and proceeds to attend to the cuts and bruises. Then he moves to the fireplace and sits staring into the blaze. The storm rages on. The minutes drag slowly along. Ten, twenty, thirty. Then Dr. Jacob steps out of the bedroom. Harvey. Yes, sir? Has Tom come out of it yet? Not yet. But he shows improvement. He'll be all right in a little while. I see. Jenkins. Yes, Doc? Get us something to make a pallet. You carry him down to the plane and take him over to the hospital. Sure, right away. I'll get four poles and some rope. I'll have two made in a jiffy. Never mind two. Just one. The girl is dead. Then on the following day, Tom has fully recovered. Gradually, the events of the preceding hours begin to pass before him. The argument, the island, the plane, Nita. Nita screaming, and then the crash. And then, Nita, Nita, where is Nita? Tom sends for his father. But Jacob is already standing in the shadows of the room. How do you feel, Tom? Nita. Is Nita all right? Oh, now, take it easy, Tom. Don't get excited. Where is Nita? Forget about Nita for the moment. You've been pretty badly banged up. A little more and you'd have had a real concussion. What about Nita? If you insisted on flying to the island, why didn't you phone Jenkins to turn on the light? He heard my motor. We were in a hurry. Besides, I saw the lights. Jenkins said he didn't turn them on at all. Didn't hear you till just before you crashed. That's ridiculous. Where have you got Nita? Nita is at the undertaker's. She... What? She's dead. Lord, was she? Did it happen in the crash? No, she died about half an hour after I got there. Were you on the island? Yes, Jenkins found you and called the house. I was out on a case and got to the island too late to save her. What was the cause? Her legs were broken. She died from extreme shock. Was there nothing you could do? Nothing. Did you try? I resent that inference. You should know better than that. I'd rather have had anybody in the world there than you. Do you know what you're talking about? Yes, I do. You hated her. You didn't give her half a chance. Will you shut up and stop yelling? What did you give her? I gave her adrenaline. It was probably water. I've heard enough out of you. When you come to your senses, I'll consider talking to you. Good day. Now, Tom... His mind, filled with suspicion, his heart burning with hatred, throws on his clothes, dashes out of the hospital and goes to the island. He reviews the whole situation with Jenkins. Each incident from the time he first heard the plane motor to the moment they took him to the hospital. Tom returns to town, arranges for an autopsy, and is now talking to the autopsy surgeon. Well, Dr. Groberg, how about it? What's your report? Well... Both legs were fractured, but there was no compound fracture. There were several minor lacerations about the body and the head contusion. Nothing there that would have caused death? No, no, nothing. What else did you find? Any evidence of of poison? No, none. She was suffering from shock? Oh, naturally. But uh, not extreme shock. Then she didn't die from shock. Death from shock would have been prevented by the adrenaline administered. Then you found adrenaline present? Yes. That is what I can't understand. 
What do you mean? Well, one of the most difficult things to diagnose is the difference between extreme shock and internal hemorrhage. There was internal hemorrhage? Certainly. And this one was one of the easiest to diagnose I've ever seen. As you well know, adrenaline in internal hemorrhage is absolutely contraindicated. In other words, you think our death was caused by the administration of adrenaline? I do, definitely. But those things happen sometimes, regardless of how hard we try. Yes. Well, thanks, Doctor. I'll see you later. you finally come to your senses? Yes. Yes, I have. I'd like to have a little talk with you. Very well. What about? I've been doing a little investigating. Investigating? Now, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Nita. Are you going to start on that again? I am. And I'm going to follow it to a conclusion. I don't want to have anything more to do with it. But I do. I've had a hard day, and I don't care to listen to any more of your idiotic babblings. How would you like to have the grand old name of Benton? The untarnished reputation of your long line of surgeons blasted to a thousand pieces. What are you talking about? How would you like to have it known that you, the eminent Dr. Benton, the trusted, the revered Dr. Jacob Benton, deliberately and with malice of forethought, caused the death of a girl? How would you like that? You're insane, positively mad. Oh, no, I'm not. I've gone back over the whole thing. I know you hated Nita. You said I'd regret the day so long as I lived. You threatened to do something, and you did your first opportunity. You are crazy. You did everything to separate us. You tried to buy her off. When that didn't work, you killed her. Get out of here. Leave this house. You didn't just let her die. You killed her. Murdered her. Get out. I know what I'm talking about. I had an autopsy performed. You what? An autopsy. Go on. She didn't die of shock. What then? She died of a very obvious internal hemorrhage, aggravated by adrenaline, which is contraindicated. You're a specialist in that line. You couldn't have made that mistake in a thousand years. But I was positive it was a shock. You knew what it was. No, I, I, I must have been wrought up. I, I could have made that one wrong diagnosis that happens once in a thousand times. Oh, no, I saw the body. I could tell with as little medical experience as I've had. Tom, you, you mustn't say anything further about this. Why not? It would ruin my reputation. Oh, it... now you're worried about your reputation. What's that compared to the girl I love? Oh, but Tom, listen to me, please. Good night. Wait a minute. Wait, Tom. Well... What do you want, Harvey? I heard you. I heard every word. So what? I can't let it go on like this. I can't let you do this to your father. What's it to you? You keep out of no, it. No, Tom, now listen. You're wrong. I know what I'm talking about. Nita was murdered and I can prove it. Your father had nothing to do with it. Harvey, that's enough. Leave us alone. I won't. I can't stand by quietly and see this happen to you. I won't. Leave this room, Harvey. Don't say another word. Now, wait a minute. What are you trying to say, Harvey? I did it. Your father's trying to cover up for me. What do you mean? He wants to save my future reputation. If it got out, it, it would be a blot against me. What would be? When Jenkins called, your father was out. He told me what had happened. I left a note for your father, took an emergency bag, and flew to the island in, in hopes I could do something. Go on. I, I thought Nita was suffering from shock. I, I was terribly upset because, because I was in love with her. So I gave her adrenaline. I wasn't experienced enough to recognize symptoms of hemorrhage. Is that the truth? Yes, now that he's told it, there's nothing I can do. I knew in an instant it was hemorrhage. When I saw the adrenaline vial, I knew what a terrible mistake he'd made. He was emotionally upset over the girl, and I wanted to give him a chance. It was done. I tried my best to pull her through, but it was too late. I... I'm sorry, Tom. Terribly sorry. Harvey guiltily leaves the library, 
goes up the stairs to his room. Tom stands staring at Jacob, then drops into a chair and begins to sob softly. A few minutes pass, then... A shot. Tom and his father leap to their feet, rush up the stairs and into Harvey's room. Harvey is sprawled dead over the desk, a gun in his hand. And on the desk, a note addressed to Tom. Read it, Tom. Dear Tom, I can't stand it any longer. It's been driving me crazy from the moment I did it. Nita's face is before me every second of the day and night. I was in in love with her. But when she ran away with you, I lost my reason. I imagined she'd be better off dead. I was filled with hatred. I knew she was suffering from hemorrhage. But I gave her the adrenaline in a bit of revenge. Now it's driving me mad. Forgive me. Harvey. Well, that's the end. Another case of jealousy. Another example of the futility of allowing oneself to become a victim of the green-eyed monster, jealousy. CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. (laughs) Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, followed by Jack Benny. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.